Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bakarbanu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et torato. Baruch atah Adonai, Noten haTorah. Amen. May this podcast be the Tuli Refua Shlema of Esther Markovitz, daughter of Sarah. In the merit of Mashiach Yeshua, Amen. Shalom. I just wanted to drop in a few insights from actually Parsha Shemini and possibly a little bit of Zav because the Lakute Torah did one of the most epic things that, pun intended, uh, because they talked about the epic battle that will happen in the time to come. And it's called the Battle of Leviathan versus the Behemoth. So, yes, uh, this is kind of interesting to come around at this time when there seems to be so many colossal monster movies and battles that are going on, not to mention the build up to King Kong versus Godzilla. And, um, you know, obviously the new Godzilla uh, movie, apparently, that's coming out. So I find it very interesting that this is something that is uh, codified in uh, Jewish literature. And um, there are movies that are basically showing us little synopses of something that will actually be happening in the time to come. So um, I was actually at a Havdalah this past Shabbat and got to talk to some of the guys there and was kind of having this conversation. So um, I just wanted to put this on the podcast because I think it's very important for us as we get closer and closer to the imminent and may it be soon return of Mashiach Yeshua, that things are going to be a little different. And if we don't begin now to um, grab a hold of that understanding that no eye is seen, no ear is heard, you know, things that are to come, you know, like what, like what, you know, um, you know, we read in the Torah portions, like the splitting of the Yom Suf, like what was that? Or all of the plagues that happened, which are called Makot, which is, again, I brought up that it was, if you add in the Lamed to the Malkot, it becomes Malkut, which is the kingdom. And so if you add, if you think about the plagues, adding in the Lamed, which is the studying, the teaching, which is only of Torah, because that's the truth, you know, that is existence, that is reality itself. When you add that to what was actually happening in Mitzrayim, the children of Israel, that's what they were doing, especially the Levites. Like they were learning and teaching Hashem, you know, and for the children of Israel, the plagues didn't happen to them. Yes, there were uh, things going on around them and things like that. But in Goshen, everything was cool until these last few plagues where some of the children of Israel died during the plague of darkness and a lot of them were able to walk around and move about like it wasn't dark at all because apparently the darkness was so tangible that you literally couldn't even stand up. Like it was uh, a very weighty uh, aspect of, of what was going on. And so gets to the fact that there is the plague of the firstborn and it's just like, 
equal opportunity. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or non-Jewish. Who's in covenant is what's the point. And I find it very interesting that in this day and age that it's beyond a fact of I grew up in a Jewish home or I've been doing Judaism my whole entire life. And what do you mean I have to convert? You know, and obviously Beit Dean has brought this up and Rabbi Griffin is definitely doing an amazing job uh, bringing that out. Uh, if you're not, by the way, watching the Aliyah Day, I cannot recommend that podcast to you enough. There are many things that from time to time I recommend and I want to make sure that it is very clear that if I'm recommending something that ultimately anything that comes from our leadership at Sar Shalom, that takes precedent, that takes priority. So um, I don't want to ever be put in a position of seeming to be confused of like, hey, you know, you recommend this over, you know, the Aliyah Day, or you recommend this over the conversion classes. Like, no, no, no. Let it be known that, you know, I am a Talbot of Rabbi Griffin, and um, that's just the end of the statement on that. So all of that to say that if you go throughout the Aliyah day with Rabbi Griffin, he is doing like the most epic work of uh, precedent and um, foundational uh, understanding of what it truly is to be in covenant. You know, from our studying to our lifestyle to practical application to esoteric teaching to how do we how do we view reincarnation and Kabbalah and Hasidic teachings? Like, what do we do with all that? And how do we reconcile that with what do we know about Mashiach? And what about the anti-missionaries? And what about the the uh, the messianics and things like that? And so, um, you know, I think it's very important for us to uh, have that uh, in our front pocket, side pocket, back pocket around our neck, on top of our head, and in our backpack, you know, so, uh, again, so I bring all that up because, you know, I'm talking about the fact that we are talking about the last plague being a plague of really just identifying who is truly with Hashem, you know, blood being put on the doorpost, and you're feasting on the lamb, you're feasting on the wine, the cups of the Seder, you're feasting on the lamb, like the whole Seder meal. And yes, Pesach is like probably two weeks or less away, which is crazy. Um, man, we're already close to Rosh Hodesh Nisan, and that happens this week. So as we head into Parsha Medzora, we will be a into the month of Nisan, the month of our redemption, a very, very powerful time. So I want to make sure that I bring this short uh, teaching out because I want to uh, just kind of Bezrat Hashem help us to uh, embrace, like I said, everything that we experience in the world right now, that's nothing compared to what is going to be happening. You know, um, I talked to my fellow co-worker Yeshiyahu, and I was just like, man, this is continuing to get more and more out of control, like in a good way, out of control. Obviously, he knows what I mean when I say that, because I'm very uh, exaggerated like that. But uh, the exaggeration lives up to the hype. I can tell you right now, 
all of the studying, all of the teachings and everything that is going on at Sar Shalom within Lapid, like, oh, my word, like what is happening? You know, like obviously we're praying Baruch above Hashem Adonai and Hashem is listening because it is like we're inundated with Torah. So it's great, you know. Um, so I was just letting him know, I was like, man. Would you believe that the insights are getting more and more ridiculous? Like, he was just like, what? Like, how? Like, everything you've told me thus far is just, I've never heard these kinds of things. And I'm like, well, just need to let you know that, um, let's see, what were we talking about? I told him today that, oh man, what was it? I'm trying to like relive the... <laughs> Relive the trauma. Um, oh, man. What is it? What is... Oh, the leprosy. Todah Hashem. Wow, see, I'm blanking out on it because it's just like, you know, you got you get knocked out and you're just like, what happened to me? I don't know. I, don't, I lost my memory. But anyway, so obviously this is the Aliyah day, literally today. Um, the, uh, yeah, the third reading. No, the second reading. Wow, because I feel like time is just flying by. But anyway, Aliyah Day, the second portion. So Aliyah 2 for Parsha Tazria. He, Rabbi Griffin, is bringing down this whole thing about Za'arat. Uh, and obviously we have all been talking about that it's not really translated uh, correctly or accurately as leprosy because you know, Zarat is not really leprosy. Zarat doesn't exist in our day and age, as far as we can tell, because Zarat has to do with um, the priest, the Kohen in particular, having to make that ruling. And it is a spiritual affliction that happens to us whenever we are spiritually out of alignment as far as Lashon Hara, or uh, improperly or treating our, our fellow Yehudim, our community. So if we are harboring anger and hatred towards others and uh, being very disrespectful, maltreating one another and things like that, you, we get afflicted with leprosy, either our house or our clothes or, or our skin, you know, and it just kind of progressively works its way in from the exterior. So he's going into like all this... Uh, all the insights on it, and he's letting us know that the fact that leprosy is only deemed by the pronouncement of the Kohen, and a doctor is not allowed to treat it or partake in diagnosing it, that should let us know, beyond all of the other commentary, among many other things, that leprosy, or Zarat, to be better correct, is... Uh, is not what we think it is. It is definitely something spiritual that manifests in the physical. And it was just kind of like, you know, obviously he went with the, if you go on the complete opposite side, which is something good, that's spiritual becoming physical. That is the word of God becoming flesh, which is Mashiach Yeshua. And so how is Messiah the Torah? Because the Torah is spiritual. And obviously, uh, 
Rabbi Shaul brings that down in his agarit to the Romans. He says the Torah, the law is spiritual. The Torah is spiritual, but yet it's physical because Mashiach is here, you know? So I was letting him know, like, so this whole thing about something spiritual being physical, you know, like able to be interacted with. And it's just like, but it's not, it's not from the physical some to the spiritual, but it's spiritual to the physical. Like it's, just kind of like it's beyond this world kind of thing but it's in this world so it's just kind of like what are you kidding me you know kind of thing and so going from there we begin to speak about well you know with messiah's return there's going to be the resurrection of the dead what does that look like because right now Everyone is all focused on the zombie apocalypse and like all this kind of crazy stuff and movies have been capitalizing on this and making the regeneration of human corpses like this demonic, evil, wicked thing. And yes, the way it is portrayed and yes, probably those things are possible. Don't want to even go there or think about it. But on the good news side of it though is that Hashem is really going to through the Torah which is through Mashiach Yeshua and Rabbi Griffin brought this up on Aliyah a day one this week uh, Yom Rishon talking about how the life and the resurrection you know that's Mashiach because only life is in the presence of Hashem so that's why if Hashem's spirit comes around something that's dead he brings it to life Hence that we've crossed over from death into life, you know, kind of thing. But anyway, all that to say, to get back to my intention for this podcast is about getting ready for things that we cannot possibly fathom at this point right now. Like as much as we can't fathom Za'arat, okay, let's talk about the fact that people who have passed away uh, no matter at what point in time, they're going to be brought back from the grave. Like, for real. Like, the way that we know Yeshua was brought back from the grave, but yet we don't see him, so it's not as crazy to us because it's kind of like, yes, we know he came back from the grave even though he died a really, really horrible death and had a pretty significant 25 hours before his death. Um, which again, thinking about Yeshua dying, I mean, okay, so we just speed bump over that, but you know, but yet he rises from the grave, shows himself around to everyone for like 40 days and then like sky elevator and disappears. And we're just like, yeah, that's cool. That's, that's my savior. That's my King. Baruch Ababa Shem Adonai, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Shemo, like, Okay, but now, in today and age, we only think that thing is possible in a movie, but yet we believe in it. So, like, bridging the gap here just a little bit, and it's just kind of like, so we have people with ailments and afflictions and sicknesses. We have uh, bank accounts that are like, wow, I don't even know how I'm even eating right now. And we have all sorts of hidden miracles that are taking place, but yet it's all stemming from Hashem's miraculous power of his spirit that animates dead things, that gives us the ability to overcome sin, that gives us the opportunity to enter into covenant, that 
aids us in making teshuva if we so choose to purify ourselves. And I'm just kind of like, man, you know, first of all, Bezrat Hashem, the world is able to uh, embrace the fact that the dead is going to be raised and they're not going to be zombies and people aren't going to be trying to do headshots and karate ninja kicks and stuff because that's how apparently you kill these kinds of things. But like seeing this in the light that it's supposed to be seen in the non twisted, convoluted, worldly man-made conception of, you know, when our family you know, truly our believing family rises from the dead. You know, some will be resurrected to eternal glory and some will be resurrected to shame. So obviously, yes, that's written in Daniel's writings. And so um, anyway, we just Hashem help us get ready for things that we're not even going to be able to fathom. Fathoming the fact that all the the true Torah, true believing Yehudim, English speaking, Hebrew speaking, Spanish speaking, and all the other languages that are out there that I don't even know of speaking, all coming together to one pure language, like the opposite of the Tower of Babel coming together as one pure language where we're not going to try to fight Hashem, but we're going to be like in the Tower of Salvation as opposed to the Tower of Babel to make war on Hashem, but now to make war with Hashem and worship with Hashem and not be against Him and all that. You know, like, I think about this now, because, you know, we have contemporary um, rabbis who some of us watch and some of us don't and some of us know of others and you know, and things like that. And we know of our Jewish brothers who speak Hebrew like 24 seven. And it's just kind of like, wow, I would love to meet you, but we probably never be able to have a really true conversation because, you know, I don't really know that much, you know, to be able to converse. I can ask for something to eat and how to go to the restroom, but that's about it. You know, and I know all my brachas, Hashem, you know, I got us to do, I can read it. But uh, outside of having colloquial conversation, I'm not really sure how well we're going to connect. But in the time to come, we will, we will be connecting with our brothers and sisters on like the most epic level ever to where we may not even need to have a full sentence to even understand each other. Cause we're going to get each other that much. We're going to be that in sync because we're all going to be filled with the spirit of Hashem in our resurrected form, you know? And it's just kind of like third temple is going to be built. We're going to have the open manifestation of the Shekinah again on a even higher level now because we're done with Lashana Ra. We're done with baseless hatred, you know, like, okay. So I hope you're kind of following and tracking with me here that this is absolutely currently unbelievable, but want to be believable, right? You know, because we have to get ourselves there to that point. So, um, again, back to my Havdalah conversation, we're, we were talking about how, oh man, the Torah is full of stories about people time traveling. Like what was the fact that, you know, Rab or Abraham's servant Eliezer was sent out to go get the bride for Yitzhak and what should have took him like a week or maybe more. He got there in like less than 12 hours. Like, what was that? Did he like take a jetpack? Did he go through a portal? Did he have an Iron Man suit? <laughs> Iron Man suit. That's funny. Yeah, you know, I have to do it. OK, but anyway, so like, how did he do that? And it's just like Hashem caused his 
space of travel to be shortened. And it, he still got there and was tired. And it's just kind of like, so what was that, you know? But anyway, uh, or the way that the children of Israel traveled throughout the wilderness, like they should have died, you know, like we're talking millions of people without prepared supplies like they did have prepared supplies a little bit they had more weapons and gold and jewelry and apparel than they did food and all that kind of stuff but yet Hashem took care of men women and children of all ages to the point that their clothes that they left with are the clothes that they arrived to the promised land with like what same pair of clothes for 40 years try wearing the same pair of clothes for two days. Okay. Like, just think about that. Think about the fact that in the desert, it's mountainous. There are all kind of creatures that kill you from just looking at you. Okay. They don't really do that, but I mean, it's kind of like, that's the intensity of some of those desert snakes. I mean, you don't want to even get like brushed to buy it, you know, kind of thing. There were one there was a in in the legends of the Jews obviously it was talking about the the fearful and frightful desert that the children of Israel were going into to where there were some serpents in the wilderness that were so venomous that their a bird would fly over their shadow like the shadow of the serpent on the sand and the bird would fall out of the sky That's serious like the shadow could kill a bird like, obviously, that is immense allegory, but man, again, let that, that, that's kind of a, hey, let's take a, a little measurement here of how bad it is. But yet, Hashem caused them to survive. The only ones who perished are the ones who wanted to perish. Because, uh, as it says in Devarim, I believe it is chapter three or chapter four. But we all know the phrase. I'm not going to source it out because I got too much in front of me that I really need to get to and stop talking. But um, it says you who are alive today, you are the ones who cleave to Hashem. You who cleave to Hashem, you are alive today. Like that verse that talks about the fact that you're alive is based off of the fact that you've cleaved to Hashem. So when cousin Corey and his 250 compadres got together with their fire pans and thought that they was going to take down Moshe and Aharon and be like, we're the Kohanim now and we're going to run temple service. And the ground like opened up and like started eating everything that was attached to cousin Corey and his 250 compadres. So people like ran and fleed for their life and all kind of stuff. They cleaved and attached themselves to Hashem. They didn't get swallowed up. And even Korach's sons, you know, the sons of Korah, the one who have written some of the Tehillim, they were able to survive because they had a level of shuva because of how they honored their their uncle Moshe uh, when Moshe came by to visit with cousin Corey in a private manner to say, hey, just want to let you know. Uh, I don't like being at odds with you and I don't think this is a good thing for us to be uh, contending about. So, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So when that conversation was going down, this is obviously from the Midrash says uh, during that Parsha, Parsha Korach, uh, you know, the sons of Korach, they stood up and they were like respectful, you know, and they wanted to, you know, bless their uncle and not be against him. So they were able to be preserved from the pit 
even though they were swallowed. You know, think about the the plague of the serpents when Moshe had to lift the serpent up on a pole. Okay, so you mean to tell me that the supernatural serpents were biting people and killing them instantly, but the only way you didn't die was because you looked to Hashem by looking at the serpent that Moshe suspended in the air on a pole? I mean, what? This is all, like, it's cool, we can read about it. But bring it down to this world. Bring it down to our day and age. Come on. We get upset with traffic. And on the traffic on the tollway. Like, how do you have traffic on the tollway? Like, the whole reason we're on the tollway is because we don't want to be sitting in traffic. I digress. Swerve. But anyway, so bringing this all back to our conversation, I was saying one of the things that is so true, that is so weird, that seems so nonsensical, but that is more valid than we could possibly ever know. And please hear me when I say this. The, the things that are happening in this world right now are indicators of what we have yet to grasp and understand and take authority in as far as like understanding it, getting it, living it out and things like that, expressing it or uh, just under, just having a, a, an awareness of it. You know, not saying that we need to go crazy and be all like, yeah, let's bring up the Leviathan lights, conjure him up, you know, call him on the phone. Where are you at? You know, uh, get the the genetic people to make up the Leviathan because the Leviathan is already in existence. So he's just in hiding right now, just like the Mishkan, just like Mashiach, just like, you know, all sorts of stuff. So anyway, there's a lot of things that uh, that are going to be coming out of hiding and we're going to be like, what? What was that? You know, but anyway, we have to get to a point of embracing these things. So what we're seeing in the movies that are like uh, reflections of, you know, like obviously I'm going to bring up the superheroes. And obviously my last podcast, I talked about that for Parsha uh, Shemini. And I know that was probably crazy. So I do not apologize. That stuff is true. But uh, I know don't get crazy. Anyway, there is an element of what these abilities are, you know, all the infinity stones having to deal with time and space and mind and reality and things like that. Power like those all exist in the Torah. We just talked about time travel. We obviously talked about the power of Hashem. We also talked about the space, you know, and all that, how it contracts and moves and the simple reality of, you know, Hashem can make manifest whatever he wants to make manifest. And it's legit. He turned a barren wilderness into a massive piece of the Holy Land away from the Holy Land. Not saying that the clouds were the Holy Land, but the way the encampments were set up, they were set up from a bird's eye view to look like the priestly breastplate. Or... It looked like the Star of David, which I just found out, which is absolutely ridiculous. So if anybody comes across uh, myself or uh, a, a young lady named Hasia or a young man named Zal uh, or uh, another person named um, Ari or, or someone named Shlomo, 
or anyone like that at our shul, um, they obviously have that information. So please ask them and they will show you. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. So anyway, um, that is just absolutely insane. So we see these superhero movies and like people can fly. People can like have these massive feats of strength. And it's just like, oh, yeah, like Shimshon. You mean the guy who was lame in both legs, who was like slaying Philistines? Come on now. You know, and it's just kind of like, OK, so if he could do that with lame legs, why does it have to be that a person turns really green and they grow however many times their size and then they start being super strong and can do all this stuff? Or a woman goes binary and she can like take on spaceships and blow them up. And it's just kind of like, OK, but yeah. So we've seen all this, obviously, throughout the tour. There's a, a guy who went down into a a lion's pit on a snowy day and fought and killed a lion with his bare hands. David, as a little kid on a regular day out in the field, kills a lion and a bear with his bare hands. And then he takes on a gentleman named Goliath and slays him with a stone. It's just kind of like a little bitty foundation stone, a little bitty pebble, a little bitty stone that the builders have rejected. And he threw it and it destroyed it like a giant. I mean, come on. So we've seen these things, right? Uh, the battle of Moshe versus Sichon and Og. Okay, so I've already filled up the room with way too many witnesses. I apologize for that. But just know all this stuff is crazy. So now that we are 29 minutes and 30 seconds into this podcast, <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about Leviathan, shall we? Bezrat Hashem, that was a, a good introduction to because it's about to get crazy. This stuff is legitimate. Like it's about to happen. This is sourced out. Here we go. I'm going to start with Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22 says, Yeshua again used parables and speaking to them. Malkut Hashemayim, the kingdom of heaven, is like a king who prepared a wedding feast for his son. Slika. And it says, but when he sent his slaves to summon the invited guests to the wedding, they refused to come. So he sent some more slaves, instructing them to tell the guests, look, I've prepared my banquet. I've slaughtered my bulls and I've fattened cattle or am my fattened cattle and everything is ready. Come to the wedding. But they weren't interested and went off one to his farm, another to his business. And the rest grabbed his slaves, mistreated them and killed them. The king was furious and sent his soldiers who killed those murderers and burned down their city. OK, so that's a little epic that. uh you don't want to come to my wedding feast. Well, then you're not going to have a prior engagement to go to because I will take out that prior engagement. You want to go to your farm? Well, say goodbye to your farm. You want to, you know, go to your business? Well, say goodbye to your business. It's kind of like, wow. So that was that really fired him up. So keeping going here, it says, then he said to his slaves, well, the wedding feast is ready, but the ones 
who were invited didn't deserve it. Why didn't they deserve it, by the way? They didn't deserve it because they chose not to deserve it. You mean to tell me that there's a chosenness that now has turned into a undeservedness based off the choice of being chosen? Where have we seen this before? Oh, my gosh. Like, right. So anyway, um, they didn't deserve it because they chose not to. If you're going to choose your business over Hashem, if you're going to choose your farm over Hashem, if you're going to not go where Hashem has called you to go, then, uh, you know, if he invited you somewhere, he wants you to say yes. Like, behold, I said before you life and death, choose life. Like Hashem is saying, I know that there's an, op an option for death. There is an option number two, but. I told you to choose option number one. So therefore you should be choosing option number one, which means being obedient and, you know, all that. So anyway, just like Rabbi Griffin said, if Hashem gives you a choice and tells you what the answer is, you want to go with his answer. You don't want to make up another one or choose a different option. So now it says, then he said to his slaves, well, the wedding feast is ready. But the ones who were invited didn't deserve it. So go out to the street corners and invite to the banquet as many as you find. The slaves went out into the streets, gathered all the people they could find, the bad along with the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man by the way, the bad along with the good and everybody shows up and now we're honing in that it says there was a man who wasn't dressed for the wedding. So he asked him, friend, hover, i.e. you should be um, aware of what's going on. Because remember, if Hashem is going to call you friend, it's because you are aware of what his mentality is, what his mindset is, what his uh, demeanor is, and what his expectations are. That's what a friend is. Uh, if you're not called a friend, then, you know, that's because you're out of the loop. But anyway, it says, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Okay, so first of all, if Hashem asks us a question, may we have the ability to be honest and speak before him at least do that as opposed to remain speechless. Because what's happening here it says, then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, throw him outside in the dark. In that place, people are in that place. People will well and grind their teeth for many are invited, but few are chosen. Okay. So right after this verse 15, this is telling of what Mashiach was truly saying. Then the Perushim went away and put together a plan to trap Yeshua with his own words. So there you go. They knew what was up. And so they devised a plan to get rid of him and be like, he just said all this stuff. Now he's going down. But what he said was truth, because what does he speak? Truth, right? Say so when we get invited to the wedding, we are given the opportunity, the awareness and the privilege to understand how we should be dressed and how we should be attired. In case uh, any of us are unaware, myself included, that is 
the Torah. We should be wrapped in mitzvot. We should be wrapped in service to Hashem. We should be wrapped in kind deeds to anyone, to poor and rich and in between alike. Okay, so that's our clothing. Uh, I read that actually, uh, Parsha Miketz from the Kute Torah talks about how our clothing in the Olam Haba are mitzvot. So, Bezrat Hashem, we are putting clothes on right now. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, garments of splendor and praise. Our thoughts, our speech, and our deeds are garments, by the way, which may they be purified through our avoda, our Torah, our keset, our prayer and service to Hashem, our Torah learning, our Torah teaching, and also our kind deeds, which is chesed, okay? Acts of loving kindness. So, we should have a certain attire. So Mashiach drops that down. So now we're going to go over to Hiskalut, which is Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to read starting from verso 8. Okay, cool. I learned that from the Aliyah Day. The Aliyah Day also teaches you Spanish, by the way. So uh, get you some of that, right? Although he has not vocalized how to say get you some in Spanish. So... When that happens, uh, that'll be great. And until then, we got, orale. like, come on. But anyway, so in Hizkalut chapter 19, Revelation 19, starting in verse 8, it says, or sleek, let's go back to 7. Because when it says the kingdom of heaven is like a banquet that was prepared for the king's son, so we know that the king's son is the lamb. We know that uh, Yisrael is also called the lamb or God's son. You know, uh, when Hashem says, Moshe, go to Paro, tell him to release my firstborn son. You know, Israel, obviously, release my people and all that. But the, the, the banquet here is called a marriage feast. It says, let us rejoice and exult and give glory unto him because the marriage feast of the lamb has come and his bride hath made herself ready. Okay. And if you go back to the Agarit podcast for this week, uh, which is uh, the Agarit to the Romans chapter one, verses 24 and 25, connecting it to Parashat Tazria. We learn that through the Jewish literature that teaches the woman is called Israel and the man is called Hashem. So the bride being Yisrael, the woman who is going to be married to the lamb, which is Hashem, you know, and so it's just kind of like, all right, so the man and woman are going to be married and there's going to be a wedding feast and all of that. And, and Mashiach brings that down in a parable, liking it to a wedding banquet. So all this covenant, all of us getting together with Hashem. Okay. So now it says, because the marriage feast of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to be arrayed in fine linen, resplendent and pure. Keep that phrase in mind, okay? She is arrayed in fine linen, resplendent and pure, okay? And then it says, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the Kedoshim, the saints, the set-apart ones, okay? So fine linen has to do with righteousness, which comes, obviously, through the garments of Torah, 
Okay, being clothed in righteousness, clothed in Messiah. Okay, then verse nine. And he said to me, right, blessed are they who to the supper of the marriage feast of the lamb are called. And he said to me, these my words are true sayings of Hashem. Now, I'm going to go to this next verse because I just want to read this last statement. It says that worship Hashem for the testimony of Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. We talked about, you know, how gifts of the spirit are a thing, you know, and one of the gifts of the spirit is prophecy. So guess what? If you want to prophesy, if you want to prophesy, then it, it is having the edut, the testimony of Mashiach Yeshua. And this is just extra to all the other stuff I know that we have going on. But testimony says, as a textual witness of the Tanakh, evidence, okay? And it says, um, this is tablets or Ark of the Covenant, proclamation, also martyrdom. The fact that we die uh, to ourselves, that's an act of martyrdom, by the way. It doesn't necessarily mean like we have to completely be killed or anything. Um, but if it comes to that, you know, obviously there's that. But it's the fact that we're willing to put aside our own agenda for Hashem's. Like, that is a form of death. That is definitely dying, for sure. Uh, and then it says that you can look at testimony is saying all, all it's going into some quotes here uh, from Bereshit 3147 that says all of my writings as testimony to you that you may be warned through them. Okay, that that one was from uh, Yermiyahu 1818 from the Targum, but um, it does cite that there is a act of testimony in Bereshit 3147. <clears throat> And then uh, there's a proclamation and the word is a dut. So anyway, just want to point that out that we have to have a testimony and that testimony is Mashiach. And uh, we read in another place in Hiskalut uh, that there will be a war made in the time to come and it will be with those who are followers of Yeshua or followers of Torah and they uh, have the testimony of Yeshua. Uh, 1412 from Hiskalut says this, this is when perseverance is needed on the part of Hashem's people, i.e. Jews, those who observe his commands and exercise Yeshua's faithfulness. The Torah and Yeshua. Okay, that is when the battle is on, and that is the um, perseverance that is called for. Now, there's a feast, there are clothing, it's the kingdom, and all of that, right? So, now, what does this have to do with Leviathan? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Bava Batra 75a. Babylonian Talmud says, and, and Rabbah says that Rabbi Yonatan says, 
In the future, the Holy One, blessed be he, will prepare a sukkah for the righteous from the skin of the Leviathan, as it is stated. Can you fill his skin with barbed irons? Which is barbed irons is besukot. And that's from Job chapter 40, verse 31. If one is deserving of being called righteous, an entire sukkah is prepared for him from the skin of the Leviathan. If one is not deserving of this honor, a covering is prepared for his head, as it is stated, or his head with fish spears. Job 40, verse 31. So now... Remember how I just mentioned that there is this clothing that we're going to be made of or that we're going to be covered with clothing at this wedding feast that is called the garments of the Leviathan. So before I get there, uh, I want to point out this, that uh, again, in the same tractate, it says, Rabbi says that Rabbi Yohanan says, in the future, the Holy One, blessed be he, will make a feast for the righteous from the flesh of the Leviathan. Okay, so this is a little earlier than what I just read before. But same tractate, 75A, Baba Batra, 75A, Baba Batra, 75A. Babylonian Talmud, right? So there's a feast that's going to happen. It's going to involve the Leviathan and it is a feast in the time to come. And we're going to be clothed with the skin of that which we're eating. And we're also going to be covered as far as a sukkah goes or garment wise goes from that same skin. Okay. So it's just kind of like, wow, the skin's going to be used and we will eat the meat and all that. So that's interesting. But anyway, it says he will make a feast for the righteous. And hence why in Hizgaluda says, blessed are they who are invited to come to this. And then you go back to Mashiach's parable where he says that, you know, there were many invited, but they didn't accept the invitation. So therefore they didn't deserve it. So people from the street corners were brought in and they changed their clothes and they partook of the feast. That, my friends, is called merit because... There was a rejection of the invitation, and then those who were invita invited after that, they accepted and embraced that invitation, and they partook of the meal. So, very important. And then it says, um, in the future, so yes, we'll eat that feast. It'll be from the flesh of the Leviathan. As it is stated, the Habarim will make, the Habarim, like the, the beloved ones, will make a feast of him, which is Job 40, verse 30. And it says, and Kara means nothing other than a feast, as it is stated. And he prepared, which is Vayikare, for them a great feast, which is Kara, and they ate and drank, the second Kings 6.23. And Havarim means nothing other than the Torah scholars. By the way, if you know what the letter Aleph is, <laughs> Welcome to being a Torah scholar, okay? Because it doesn't take much as far as like to get involved and put your hands on something. I mean, you start with that and it, it's just going to take you just ridiculously, okay? So be encouraged about Torah scholar. There are so many different levels, right? So it says the, then, uh, so the Habarim is the Torah scholars. As it is stated, 
you that dwell in the gardens, which by the way, you need to know gardens are the Torah portions because there are 53 Torah portions, sometimes 54, depending on what you do with certain ones, because some go together, some don't. And it's either 53 or 54. The word 53 or the gematria 53 is the word gun, which is garden. So the Torah portion is likened to a garden, okay, a part of the garden. Now, it says the Torah scholars are those who dwell in the gardens. The companions hearken for your voice. The companions is the word havarim. They hearken for your voice, cause me to hear it. That's from Song of Songs 8.13, also known as Shir Hashirim. This verse is interpreted as referring to Torah scholars who listen to God's voice. Bezrat Hashem, as we study the Torah, as we listen to the Torah, as we teach Torah, we listen to Hashem's voice. And that makes us a haver. And that puts us in a place of Bezrat Hashem merit. That puts us in a place of Bezrat Hashem being invited to the banquet. That we Bezrat Hashem accept the invitation. And we Bezrat Hashem get our clothing. And we Bezrat Hashem partake of the feast. Right? So all of that to say, I'm going to now go back to something called the Shanae Lukot Habrit. Okay? And this is from Parsha Toldot. Remember, there was a little known scenario where Yitzhak was trying to bless Asaph, but uh, Rivka was like, I say, no, 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 you will bless Yaakov. Well, she didn't say that to his face, but she uh, made the made it happen so that Yaakov could go get the blessing. And Yaakov had to wear these special clothes that ended up being the clothes that Hashem made for Adam and Hava in the garden. So, Shanae Coates Habrit right here is about to bring something down from that Torah portion. And he says this, From all the above, it is clear that the skin of the Leviathan is very is a very great light indeed. Now, what did I just read in Hiskalut? Okay, I know I'm throwing a lot of things right right now, but I have to. It's just so important. Okay, so back to Hiskalut, uh, Revelation. And I said in verse 8, it says that Given to the bride, she was arrayed in fine linen, resplendent and pure. And over here, Shanae Lukot says that the skin of the Leviathan is very great indeed. Baba Vatra 75a from the Babylonian Talmud said that we are wearing the Leviathan. <laughs> you know, we're in a sukkah. We got a hat. You know, we get a necklace. At one point, it goes in all that. That's from Avodah Zarah. But anyway, that's all Talmud drops. So... Continuing on, I, I'm going to go back. Look at this. God will scatter. Okay, nope. I'm going to Okay, go back to the beginning. Okay, Rabbah said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan that in the future, God will make a hut, a sukkah, for the righteous out of the hide of the Leviathan. This is Shanae Lukota Breed, still Parsha Toldo. Okay, going crazy. He'll make a sukkah for the righteous out of the skin of the Leviathan, as we know from Job 40, verse 31. Then it says, if, a, if the person is deserving, God will make a sukkah 
for him. If not, a shade giving heave to without walls. So he's going to make a little covering of some sort. Probably something like the Kikiyon that covered Yonah after he went and preached to Shuba to Nineveh. I make a pause right there because when you tell someone to make Teshuva, it insinuates return to Torah. So say La on that because Nineveh was quote unquote not Jewish, but yet they were supposed to return to Torah. Anyway, back on track here. It says, if he is less deserving, God will make some kind of jewelry, as we know, from Mishlei 1.9, Proverbs 1.9, and graceful ornaments around your neck. If he is still less deserving, God will make him an amulet, seeing that we have a verse in Job 40, verse 29. Job 40, I guess, is where it's at. It says, and I will tie it around your maidens. God will scatter the remainder of the Leviathan skin, on the walls of Jerusalem, and its glitter will sparkle from one end of the earth to the other. As we read in Yeshayahu 60, verse 3, y'all, Shanae Lukot, I breathe, for real, all, and, and nations will walk by your light, kings by your shining radiance. So thus far, the Talmud and Baba Batra 75, that, okay, that all comes from Baba Batra 75. Ridiculous. Now, from all the above, it is clear that the skin of the Leviathan is a very great light indeed. I have found a statement in the commentary of Zioni in this portion, based on a midrash that the skins used to make the ketonet or the garments of light, the garments of skin, the garments of skin, not the garments of light, because we lost our light, remember? So Hashem clothed us with garments, which were made from skin, which is ore, but with an ayin as opposed to an olive. So these skins, so it says the Midrash says the skins used to make those garments for Adam and Haber were taken from the female of the original Leviathan. Read Bereshit 121 from Rashi. He talks about there were two Leviathans during the creation week. And one of them got slain because if they procreated, oh my goodness. You do not want a bunch of baby Leviathans going around here. But anyway, so if you really look at what's going on, the original garments that we were clothed in from Hashem after we lost our light were the garment or was the skin of the female Leviathan. And then the, in the time to come, when we get back to getting our original garments back, we're also going to be clothed. <laughs> this is crazy because you know how the Kohen Gadol, right, is clothed with all these different garments. There's like eight pieces of clothing on. You talk about layers, right? Well, not only that, but I mean, that's a picture of what we're all going to have in the future. We're going to have layers. Like we're going to have our our primordial bodies, our resurrected bodies, you know, covered in light, spirit of Hashem. And then we're going to put on the garments of the skin of the male Leviathan. So, yeah, I just saw that and it's just kind of like, wow, that's that's crazy. So then it says, so the female Leviathan wore the garments of skin that Hashem clothed the diamond Hava with, whom God reportedly slew, salting and preserving its meat for the righteous in the future. Again, see Baba Batra 74. Okay, so we saw 75. Now you can go back to 74. So that whole middle section is probably ridiculous on Leviathan. So then it says, 
this seems very plausible. God surely did not create that skin without assigning a purpose to it. Okay, if we accept the Midrash as being factual, we can much better understand the statement that in Rabbi Meir's version of the Torah, the word or in kotnot or, ketonet or, was spelled with the letter Aleph. Okay, which is uh, the actual word for light as opposed to skin. And it says, it would have been difficult to imagine that the spelling in Rabbi Mir's Sefer of Torah was really so radically different. What Rabbi Mir meant by his statement was that the skin of the Leviathan, which formed the clothing of Adam, illuminated the earth all over. Even though it was a garment of skin, it was a garment of light. We lost the original light that Hashem clothed us in when we weren't naked and we were clothed in light. And then the skin that was the lesser light still emulated light, but it wasn't like Hashem made it. It was a lesser version of it. Man, where have we seen a lesser version of the light given to us? Oh, you mean at Mount Sinai when the sapphire tablets were shattered, but yet parts of the sapphire tablets were found in the stone tablets that Moshe cut out to make the second set of tablets, which include the same words that were written on the sapphire tablets. Okay. So as it was with the tablets, so it was with the garments, apparently. <laughs> so anyway, just want to point that out, that there's skin that we're clothed in. So now I'm going to jump over to Legends of the Jews. Um, there's a whole section over here in Legends of the Jews, one section one, starting in 50. Well, before that, but I'm going to pick up in 50. So it says that. Uh, see here. God will command the Leviathan and the behemoth. To enter into a duel with each other. So this is where I mentioned the whole colossal monster movies that are apparently coming out now. Like that's all giving us a. Uh, an understanding of what is actually to occur in the time to come. Leviathan versus Behemoth, which is apparently typified, typified, I guess, typography, and uh, Kong versus Godzilla. So anyway, the Leviathan versus the Behemoth. We can match up who's who at some other time, I guess, or if we need to, but this is just meant to say, here's a picture, here's an illusion. This stuff is... Uh, is coming up so may we be ready for that uh, so they're going to go at it right and it says they're going to enter into a duel the issue will be that both will drop dead the behemoth will be slaughtered by a blow of the leviathan's fins the leviathan will be killed by a lash of the behemoth's tail then it's, <laughs> so it's just kind of like okay so godzilla swings his tail and crushes uh king kong some kind of way kind of i don't know anyway uh from the skin of the leviathan god will construct sukkot to shelter the companies of the righteous this says construct tents to shelter the companies of the pious if you really want the actual text here and it says while they enjoy dishes made of his flesh the amount assigned to each of the pious will be in proportion 
to his deserts and none will envy or begrudge the other his better share. And then it says, what is left of the Leviathan skin will be stretched out over Yerushalayim as a canopy, i.e. a sukkah, and the light streaming from it will illuminate the whole world. What is left of his flesh after the pious have appeased their appetite will be distributed among the rest of men to carry on traffic therewith. On that very same day, this is section 51 now, the birds, or, or on that very same day with the fish, the birds were created. For these two kinds of animals are closely related to each other. Fish are fashioned out of water and birds out of marshy ground saturated with water. As Leviathan is king of the fishes, so is the Z's, the Z's, Z-I-Z here, is appointed to rule over the birds his name comes from the variety of taste his flesh has. It tastes like this, which is Zay. <laughs> and it says, and like that, which is Zay. The Z's is as monstrous of size as the Leviathan himself. His ankles rest on the earth while his head reaches the very sky. Okay, so now we got Big Bird. So again, I find it very interesting that the next Godzilla movie that's coming out has creatures that kind of tie and allude to this and it's just kind of like so what's really happening here <laughs> so anyway uh not that i'm like encouraging us to go out and watch these movies but i actually had the thought of what we're just being like whatever to the world on right now as far as following the worldly ways and being caught up in the mundanity of things Going to see movies is totally fine, but I mean, like, it's not what we live for, you know, and it's like, we're spending our time really living for Hashem and bringing his kingdom on the earth, and, you know, and obviously we have to be human beings with that, but to know that there's going to be this opportunity for us to experience all this, what, what the world is hyping up, like, we're going to experience, like, the true kosher Hashem version of that in the time to come. So like IMAX 3D can move over because when it's time for us to go to the great wedding feast, I mean, oh my gosh, right? So now, Lakute Torah, Parashah Shemini. And this is what they bring down in the opening. And they say this. They say the Leviathan Zayadzarta. That's the title. Okay, and that's Lakute Torah, uh, page 18. Okay, so now it says, Parsha Shemini discusses the laws of kashrut. The laws involved in eating kosher meat or fish are made up of a number of factors. First, the fish and meat must come from kosher species based on the signs defined in the Torah. All right, so now I'm going to jump down to where it says this. This week's section or teaching which is called a ma'amar deals with a peculiar midrash that describes the famous awaited meal of the future era the meal of the leviathan and the shur habor which by the way that's the technical name of the behemoth the shur habor now it says this um the Midrash describes how these two significant creatures will engage in battle with one another 
and will both be killed as a result of the blows they receive. So they say this uh, and they connect it actually to uh, Zadokim. There are two types of Zadokim, a revealed and a hidden. And they use the Leviathan and the Shor Habor, which is the behemoth, to uh, bring out more illustration because they're getting into understanding of these few questions they give four questions they say what is the spiritual significance of the future battle because obviously the, the battle is happening for a reason so it's connected to something that Hashem wants to teach us even in uh, amusement that we're going to watch Hashem is going to be teaching us it's just like that is the best of literally both worlds this world and the world to come right <laughs> so anyway um so I'm going to go down a little bit. It says, okay, so what's the spiritual significance of that battle? Second question, why will the meat of the behemoth be permitted to be eaten even if it's slaughtered with an invalid blade? Because the Leviathan's fins are serrated like a saw and you cannot eat meat that's been serrated like that. It's got to be a Shakita blade, like a smooth, like done, you know, but yet. Anyway, so then it says, what are the two forms of Zadokim and what is the difference between them? What's a hidden Zadok and what's the function that he serves in the world? So now it gets into the teaching. It says the verse states that the Leviathan was created for amusement. So, yeah, the Leviathan was created for amusement. It says in the Midrash that the animal, the Shor Habor, the behemoth, and the Leviathan are the Kenegon, the amusement of the Zadokim in the future. What will transpire with the Leviathan and the Shorhabor? And it says the Shorhabor will gorge, gore its horns into the Leviathan and tear it, while the Leviathan will stab the Shorhabor with its fins and tear it. Okay, the meat of the dead Leviathan and the Shorhabor will then be served as meal for the Zadokim. To which I told one of my coworkers today, this is kind of like the original surf and turf, like on the kosher side, <laughs> you know, like the fish and, and uh, land animal platter. But anyway, it says it needs to be understood, however, how it will be permissible for the Zadokim of the future to eat food that has not been slaughtered properly. So, yeah, so they get into that. So now. I go into all this. Now, it gets into the meaning of the battle. It says the battle between the Leviathan and the Shor Habor is not a physical fight of anger and destruction. So remember how in the Godzilla versus Kong movie, like they were tearing up like Japan and stuff. And it's just like this battle ain't going to be like that. So it's like this is the best kind of battle to have one that doesn't involve destroying city and killing millions of people. So anyway, um, when that, okay, but anyway, I'm digressing, but anyway, okay. The battle between the Leviathan is not a, is, and Shorhabor is not a physical fight of anger and destruction, but rather one of assistance and elevation. The Leviathan will slaughter the Shorhabor in order to elevate it to its level. This is why the Midrash emphasizes that the Leviathan will slaughter the animal using its fins because the fins represent the swift travel of the Leviathan and its advantageous spiritual level. Side note, just to fill you in in case you were wondering, because 
you may have and you may have not but just to let you know they did a whole discussion that the leviathan represents the hidden zodic and the hidden zodic are compared to fish and they swim at lightning speeds they travel far distances in a short amount of time they use their fins and that's what helps them swiftly go through the water Keher Tumash also brings that down about the fins and scales part and how that really is like how we excel and tour and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, and the uh, the revealed Zodic is like into the behemoth. It's a very slower, a lot of energy is needed to get somewhere. But when it comes to doing revealed mitzvot, like, you know, saying a bracha over a cup of water, uh, eating matzo on Pesach, sitting in a sukkah, they got that, believe that. Which, uh, again, this is more sidetracking into the comparison of the two Zodokim. Because neither of us should be disheartened by, I'm not a hidden Zodok or I'm a revealed Zodok. I'm a behemoth. I'm a Leviathan. Actually, we're supposed to be both. Um, But anyway, the two Zodokim accomplish the same result by different means. What am I saying? That there is supposed to be this element of unifying the heavens and the earth. The upper world with the lower worlds. And that's what happens when we do a mitzvah. So when we eat matzah on the night of Pesach, you know, we're doing that. And then the that's the, what the revealed Zodic does. But the hidden Zodic can do that same type of unification that would happen uh, through another kind of way. And uh, so it says that they spend their time making divine unifications within the sephirot of the upper worlds, giving them elevations. Obviously, that's something to do with Kabbalah on the kosher side, not the Madonna Kabbalah, because Madonna Kabbalah is de-elevating and not elevating. But anyway, I digress. Back to this. So it says that the serrations of the fins represent the need for the revealed Zodic to be elevated one level at a time. The hidden Zodic will help elevate the revealed Zodic to the even higher spiritual planes. On the other hand, the Shur Habur will also slaughter the Leviathan, as the Leviathan too requires a certain aspect of elevation. The hidden Zodokim represented by the Leviathan lack the fulfillment of physical mitzvot as commanded in the Torah. You can be a hidden Zodok, but you won't be doing the physical mitzvot. And it's just kind of, well, if you can achieve that by unifying the divine unifications in the Sephiroth, okay, but you also need to physically do it. That's the equivalence of us being able to offer sacrifices now through our prayers and praise, but then it's like, but physically go out and do things, you know, kind of thing. So we literally get the best of both worlds right now and the Tuzadakim aspect. Uh, So anyway, it says that... um, the hidden Zadokim, represented by the Leviathan, lack the fulfillment of physical mitzvot commanded by the Torah. Hence, the revealed Zadok will help elevate the hidden Zadok to also receive this advantage. Thus, both forms of Zadokim contain aspects of advantage over each other, which will be shared in the future battle. So, the performance, this is where we're just going to end our lesson now. What's this battle mean? I know it's like, it's crazy. It's kind of allegorical. It's kind of seen folklore. But yes, there is really a Leviathan. Yes, there's really Behemoth. And yes, they're going to really fight. And yes, we will really have a, a wedding banquet. And yes, we will really be clothed in light. That's going to be absolutely ridiculous. It's going to be like a whole new meaning to bling bling. Uh, all that. 
So, all of this to say, the concluding lesson points are, every generation has hidden Zadokim. Even in our orphan generation, there are hidden Zadokim that continue to perform their spiritual service of sublime unifications that connect the world to the unending light, the infinite light, which is obviously Hashem, Mashiach, Torah, the Or Ein Sof. And then it says, the performance of the physical mitzvot is so great that even the hidden Zadokim, who are by far on a much greater or much higher spiritual level, will need to be elevated by us in the future. So the battle is about working together. And uh, yeah, so anyway, we have to uh, do physical mitzvot, but also be able to understand in the spiritual uh, heavenlies how to do that, you know, which is why we've been given these weapons of uh, these spiritual weapons that are able to pull down strongholds and things like that. I want to end with that just to kind of get a little bit more grounded from where I've obviously been going for a while. <laughs> like, man, um, Uh, the spiritual weapons of warfare as elucidated obviously uh, <laughs> Shaul is going to bring this down to one of his ghettoed. I know there's the Ephesians one but I think there's one in uh, Corinthians All right, stand by. Thank you for your patience. Please enjoy this music uh, while your party waits. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Here we go. The letter to Corinth, the sequel. Chapter 10. Um, let's go ahead and pick up in verse one says, now it is I myself, Shaul, making an appeal to you with the meekness and forbearance that come from Mashiach. I am I who am being considered timid when face to face with you, but intimidating from a distance. <laughs> it's just kind of like y'all think I'm a pushover when I'm with you. And then y'all think, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to kill us or hurt us really bad or something when he's away. It says, but I beg you not to force me to be intimidating when I'm with you. I, as I expect to be towards some who are regarding us as living in a worldly way. By the way, indictment on Shaul in a good way that homeboy, homeboy is not against Torah observance. If you live in a worldly way, that means you're not Shomer Mitzvot. You're not living an observant life. But if you don't live in a worldly way, so if you live in a worldly way, that's being inept of Torah, no Torah, no living Torah, no festivals, none of that. But if you don't live in a worldly way, then that's Torah because that's the only way. Truth and life, right? Okay, anyway, so he just says that. He says, I expect to be intimidating to some of you who regard us as living in a worldly way. You think that I'm not Torah observant, you're wrong, and I'm coming for you. I'm coming at you. 
Anyway, so that got a little rough there. Just want to point that out. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2. Shaul says, I'm Torah observant. So why do people think Shaul is not Torah observant? Like, how does this happen? Okay. Now, he says to go on. This is the key verse. For although we do live in the world, we do not wage war in a worldly way because the weapons we use to wage war are not worldly. On the contrary, they have God's power for demolishing strongholds. We demolish arguments and every arrogance that raises itself up against the knowledge of God, a.k.a. against Torah. We got weapons for that. We take every thought captive and make it obey Mashiach. And when you have become completely obedient, then we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience. You are looking at the surface of things. If anyone is convinced that he belongs to the Mashiach, he should remind himself that we belong to the Mashiach as much as he does for even if I boast a little too much about the authority Adonai has given us, authority to build you up and not tear you down, I am not ashamed. So, anyway, just want to point that out, that uh, there's a higher level of life, and we need to be getting ready for some things that are going to blow our loving minds and the time to come. Grapes are going to be the size of mansions and we're going to be sticking a spigot on it to do our Bore Pri Hagafen because we're going to fill up our little kiddish cups from a giant grape. And it, by the way, it will not be rotting because that's done, you know, and it's just kind of like all sorts of uh, things that we read from the story of Parsha Shlok about the, the fruits that they brought from the land and how big everything was in the land. That'll be coming back up. Uh, our clothes are going to be crazy, not going to be wearing out. We're going to be uh, on a new level of being able to study the Torah and get more insights. It's all coming. And as far as we're seeing right now, I mean, everything is really just kind of fading in to the time to come. Because Bezrat Hashem, the judgment is being sweetened for the return of Mashiach. It doesn't have to be as horrible or gloomy as the revelation paints with the destruction and the, all that kind of stuff. Because we merit that Mashiach can come speedily or he can come in his time. You know, that's Sanhedrin 98 here. So um, Bezrat Hashem, this long podcast will be helpful. And uh, I know it's crazy, but... If we think this is crazy, I'm just saying, this is this is nothing compared to what's coming up. The dead are raised, the sick are healed, uh, Mashiach on the clouds of glory flying through the air like Silver Surfer, uh, Leviathan, scary, okay, Z's, scary, okay, but it's all good, and we're going to be back in Yerushalayim, and the world's going to be lit up with Torah, the temple will be rebuilt. We're going to have Mashiach on the earth with us. What else is there to say? <laughs> what do we know? What do we know? 
Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natabetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha-Torah. Amen. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai.